What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the You Know Ball Podcast. I am your host, Trill Bro Dude, and I recorded this episode before the game against the Kings yesterday, but oh my god, what a win for the Sixers. Missing all five starters from last year, four of the five starters from this year, Tyrese Maxey being the only one that actually played yesterday, and they really needed this win um, to keep themselves above 500 for this road trip. They have one game left at the Warriors. Joel Embiid will not be playing in that game. But they will be over 500 by the time he gets back. We got good news yesterday that he should be back with the team when they return to Philadelphia. So all great news over here. I mean, I'm telling you, dude, the, the vibes of this team, I feel like an idiot. I feel like I'm falling for this again. And maybe it's just because of the young players and all the fun that we've been having watching Maxi take this leap and all the depth that the team has. I mean, the Kings, you know, the Kings are the Kings, but they do have talent. And the fact that the Sixers had none of their starters from last year when they were the one seed, they go into Sacramento and win that game based on all bench players. And then Tyrese Maxey is just absolutely incredible. And once again, Doc, Doc's great when, when guys are out, man. I, 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 that is the one thing that he, he's constantly done well is, you know, the team overperforms when players are out. They should not be in a lot of these games other than the Jazz game where they got blown out, they've been in pretty much every game since Joel Embiid went down, and it's not even moral victories anymore. We've won two of the last three, and they almost won in Portland the other night. Like, I just feel really good about where the team is right now, and that kind of transitions to what we talked about today in this episode. So I apologize if anything comes across as repetitive. We've been recording a lot about Tyrese Maxey and the Ben Simmons trade, but that's kind of all that's going on right now with the Sixers, and I wanted to have Brian Toporek on to talk a little bit about his thoughts on the whole situation. So this episode, basically, we just focused on how to build the best team around Joel Embiid. We addressed the Jeremy Grant rumors. We talked about Tyrese Maxey making this leap and how it gives him a little bit of flexibility in the Ben Simmons trade. We talked about the Tobias Harris conundrum. We talked all about the list of 30 players that could be potentially on Daryl Morey's list. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, We had a lot of fun recording. Once again, I apologize if anything comes off as repetitive. I had some mic issues. I was recording with a new computer and... Basically, my audio isn't great. So please just hang with me through that. I'll get it fixed for the next episode. We will be back later in the week with another episode. And uh, keep an eye out. I've been recording Twitter spaces. I did a a space during the first half of the game last night where we just hung out and we talked about the NBA and the Sixers in general during the game. And I'm going to try to start doing more stuff like that. So keep an eye on my Twitter, at TrillBroDude. Obviously, if you listen to the podcast, you know who I am. And then... I might be doing some YouTube and Twitch stuff in the in the coming week as well. So keep an eye out for that. Enjoy this episode with Brian. Thank you, Brian, for coming on. All of his stuff is linked below. And in addition to that, you can also find the square to donate and support the podcast. It's Thanksgiving week. If you want to throw me some, some money, that would be great. We also have the five-star reviews you can leave. You can join the Discord, you know. All the same stuff. We're almost at 100 reviews on Apple. Awesome. Everything's great. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving week. And I'll probably end up publishing the second podcast after Thanksgiving on Friday. So once again, enjoy. Have a great week. Go Sixers. We work the work.
late to work, I holla and they send it You know my pride was colder than Chicago in December My bitch came up and go with her mama was her daddy And when I'm in the Midwest, she say holla at your family My dog paid me that cup, taste like candy My dog out laying them low, ain't breaking them laws, I'm serving out the rock What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the You Know Ball podcast. I am your host, Trill Bro Dude, and today I am excited to have back on the podcast for, I think, the third time, maybe the fourth time, Brian Toporek of Forbes, Brian Toporek of the NBA pod. What's going on, Brian? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me back. I'm glad to have you back on. And anytime that you come on, I feel like we have to talk about the Ben Simmons situation <laughs> because this is just our life now. We are yeah. we are Bill Murray and Groundhog's Day, and uh, this winter will never end. So this is a, an interesting time to have you on because you actually just wrote a piece today in Forbes about Tyrese Maxey and kind of how his leap – into becoming potentially a star in the NBA has kind of given the Sixers a little bit more flexibility with the Mm -hmm. Ben Simmons situation. So why don't you tell people kind of a little bit about what was in the piece? I'll link the piece in the description below, obviously. But why don't you just tell people a little bit about your piece and how you think it will affect the Sixers and the Ben Simmons situation going forward? For sure, yeah. So, I mean, I think Maxi other than the Ben Simmons situation was probably the biggest question mark for the Sixers heading into the season, because with Ben out and you don't know when he's going to return or if he's going to return, Maxi was in line to replace him as the starter. We saw limited flashes of him in that role last year. Like the Denver game is still fresh in everyone's mind when it, you know, half the team was out with COVID or COVID protocols and he has 39 points. And that, that was great. Nu- he's the nuggets killer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, But, you know, you don't know how he's going to fare in an every night role. And can he fill that role in Joel Embiid's prime, be the starting point guard of a, you know, championship hopeful? I'm not going to say championship caliber team necessarily, because I don't know that the Sixers are there right now. But, you know, they, they are aspiring to win the title every year. That's what they think of themselves as. So could he fill that role? So far, the answer seems to be yes. He's been one of the bright spots for this team. As you know, I know you've talked about him in re- recent episodes as well. He's been one of the biggest stories for the Sixers so far. And he's even getting attention nationally now, too. I know Zach Lowe yeah. featured him uh, in the 10 Things column last week. Mike Schmitz of ESPN also had a you know five breakout sophomores. And Maxie was in there. Nikias Duncan of Basketball News just had a whole piece about him as well. So it's not just like Sixers fans who are excited about him. It's like, you know, you're watching games, national guys are watching games. They're like, oh, my God, this guy's really popping off the screen. So this is this is not just Sixers homerism speaking here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and I do just want to point out, you usually can get the feel for when a guy goes national when, as you said, you're listening to the broadcasts and it's all they're talking. They never shut up about Tyrese Maxey, (laughs) which is great, especially like if you have league pass and you ever get the chance to listen to if you're out of the Philadelphia area and you get a chance to listen to the opposing broadcasts and they they will talk about a player a lot. That's how you know that they've kind of taken that leap. And another good signal, other than all the things that you're talking about with the national attention and blah, blah, blah. I swear to God, anytime a player does this, 
YouTube is just like yeah. anytime I go on my YouTube page now, it's like recommended Tyrese Maxey, all star question mark, Tyrese Maxey, next great Kentucky guard. And this is these are things that we obviously saw as a fan base last year. And as you brought up in your piece, we we, we saw the flashes, as you just said. But now it feels like a, like an actualization of what we have been saying. Like we've been saying we think that he will eventually be this good. We didn't expect him to be in year two, 15, 20 games into the season. And we're talking about him being in the all-star conversation. So one of the things I actually heard someone say earlier that it, no second year guard, it was it was literally like no age 21 year old season has ever been this efficient for an 18 point per game scorer as a guard like he 18 points per game 61 percent true shooting and 21 years old like that is literally he's literally like breaking records for efficiency now a lot of that is is not fully sustainable i don't think he's going to shoot 43 percent from three for the entire season I don't think that he's going to be hitting his floaters at this clip. And I don't know if he's going to be shooting 73% at the rim for the rest of the year. Like I, <laughs> I think it's, it's pretty obvious that some of these things will regress, but regardless, as you said, you you're seeing what we were seeing flashes of last year. And now it puts us in a position where we can kind of pivot instead of being like, we need Damian Lillard. We need Bradley Beal. We need that lead initiator, which is what you kind of talked about in the piece. Now, if you want to talk about Maxi as like the primary guy, yes, he might have some shortcomings as a playmaker and maybe at the end of games creating his own shot and stuff like that. Although recently he's looked great. I mean, you watch the did you watch the end of the Portland game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so the end of the Portland game, perfect example of Maxi's kind of growth is. They're just feeding him down the stretch of this game. He gets them all the way back into the game. And Tobias Harris for as actually he's been pretty good for this season scoring wise. But the second that Doc took the ball out of Maxi's hand and put it in Tobias's hands and also went small at the same time and removed a rim protector from the floor, the Sixers just that was the end of the game. And then right. by the time they <laughs> gave the ball back to Maxi after three possessions of Tobias not scoring at all turning the ball over and you get Maxi basically back to uh, you know, back and he's trying to get them back into the game, but it's already too late. So like you've seen that he, he might be able to be the closer for this team. So when you think about shifting the perspective from like, we need that lead initiator guard. Do you think a playmaking wing would be the best bet to target a scoring wing? What do you think? Cause, cause it gets hard to figure out like, who's even available. And and right. that's something that we'll talk about in a little bit when it comes to the 30 names on the list. But who do you like, what, what kind of archetype of player would you, would you say that we should now target in a return for Ben Simmons? Yeah. Since Maxi has taken this kind of leap. Right. I, like, I don't know that there is one specific archetype other, like we don't need a center, obviously Joel Beats got that on lock, like anything I else. I say, think, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but anything else I think should be an option. I just think Maxi taking this kind of leap widens the scope, as you said. You know, you don't necessarily need the primary return to be a lead ball handler. And I know Maury has gone on and on, like, we only want a difference maker. We're not settling for role players, blah, 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 blah. 
We'll see as things get closer to the trade deadline, if he's really willing to like, he is telegraphing that he is willing to make this a multi-year thing. But you know, this is the same guy who 10 years ago with the Rockets said, if you even have a 5% chance of winning the title, you go all in and keeping Ben Simmons on the bench all year, just to make a point to Rich Paul or make a point about player empowerment, whatever that's not (laughs) clearly not going all in. So it wouldn't surprise me if they get close to the deadline and maybe the role player plus picks packages start to get a little more enticing. Like maybe teams are getting desperate, like a Sacramento, for instance, and they are, okay, we'll relent. We'll throw in one of our four best players, which they are apparently unwilling to do <laughs> until now. Um, you know, God forbid you break up a 30-win team that hasn't made the playoffs in 15 years. So it, it does feel like there are more and more teams who just think that their team is better than it is. Yeah. Or I guess like, you know, now that there is 10 spots with the play in tournament, like and the West is just not that great there. You know, you can rule out a couple San Antonio, New Orleans, Houston probably aren't making the playoffs or even the play in tournament. So like Sacramento basically just has to not fall on its own face and it will get in. But really, like, is the 10 seed really worth aspiring to is that a successful season for that it just seems like their expectations also it seems like if you if you were to put ben simmons on that team that would kind of be your ticket to the play-in like like regardless of how we feel about ben's fit in philadelphia like ben is going to help whatever team he goes next to if their goal is to make the play-in tournament right ben ben is a really good regular season player he will help you accrue regular season wins once you get to the playoffs you're going to get killed but that's not that's not our concern. Like hey, if you were, hey, pass the first round, okay? He's a, he's a first round killer too. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But yeah, so I think it it will at least like it opens the door to okay, we don't necessarily need this superstar ball handler. We could get a wing, or we can even get you know if you're looking like maybe we're trying to pivot away from Tobias Harris at some point, we can look for a star four and try to swing Tobias elsewhere. So I, I think. You know, it, when Sam Amick comes out with the report saying they have 30 names on the list, it's like the list of point guards or shooting guards who can be, you know, combos who can be that type of player. There's not 30 guys on that list and definitely not 30 who are remotely available. I think that's that's been the other problem. That's probably so far why a deal hasn't gone down is, you know, like the Dames and Beals and Zach Levines weren't going to be traded this offseason. But even teams like Sacramento refusing to include Halliburton or Fox or Minnesota refusing to include D'Angelo Russell, which is also comical. Like insane. I I, I only I mean D'Angelo Russell, I do not think is on that list of 30, to be clear. It would no, be D'Angelo no. Russell plus a ton. So if Minnesota's not even there, then like that you, deal is like you said earlier, I don't think he's on the list of one hundred. Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> like I mean, I, I have always thought a uh, uh, Spurs deal made a lot of sense with DeJounte Murray as the, the kind of focal point and like a, you know, you get DeJounte Murray and Thad and Devin Vassell and, you know, the Sixers would have to throw in some bodies just for the, the uh, roster spot crunch to resolve. But right. Uh, I mean, I think this just opens the door to a lot more possibilities, especially, you know, come December 15th with this myth- <laughs> mythical date when all of a sudden all these free agents who signed, like, I don't know who these free agents are that are. They, look at the list. There's no one worth getting like it's yeah. it, except for the players who will absolutely not be traded. Like right. yeah, 
Chris Paul would be great. Yeah, he's not coming <laughs> here. Sorry. So that that's the situation. I mean, we joked about it on the live podcast the other night. It's be, if we feel like uh, QAnon now where we're just like, <laughs> yeah, keep an eye on December 15th. And then January 15th, even more players can be traded. And then, by the way, we're going to see, you know, RFK Jr. You know, all, yeah, you yeah. Know. <laughs> JFK Jr. You know yep. what I mean? Yeah. So, yep. so basically the whole thing with Maxi taking the leap, it has definitely given them a little bit more flexibility. I still don't know if they'd be open to a role players and picks type type trade. I still think that there would have to be at least one potential star in the yeah. package. So maybe the Spurs package could work because because you look at Devin Vassell and you say, I mean, look at how how well he's performing early in the season. He's still very young. He's on the same timeline as Maxi. Obviously, not on the same timeline as Joel Embiid. But now it's got to the point where they've kind of said this from the beginning, but now it's like confirmed. Maxi will not be included in any Ben Simmons trade unless you're getting a top 12 player back. Like right. unless you're getting Damian Lillard and, and like, I, I think that Dame has struggled out the gate and all that stuff, but like Dame is the one player that in theory could be available, even though I don't think that's going to happen this year that maybe they would say, okay, here's Maxi and Simmons and picks and whatever. And because he's the one guy that could really take this team to the next level. And now that Maxi has proven to be like a sub all-star player in his second year with potential to get even better, you kind of have to say to yourself, like Jalen Brown, great player. He's not worth giving up Tyrese Maxi and Ben Simmons. Even two weeks ago when that report came out, I was like, I mean, you'd have to consider it if you can't get any sort of return for Ben. And now I think that's completely out of the conversation as Maxi moves further and further up. So yeah. one of the things that people have been talking about with Maxi is the turnovers. So if yeah. you know if you know anything about Tyrese Maxi, he has always been a very safe ball handler. He never has turned the ball over at a high rate in high school, college, and that's actually one of the things that the Stepian wrote about 2 years ago in an article which was essentially that basically if you look at the list of like all players who had like somewhat high usage in college and a low turnover rate, the majority of those guys went on to have good NBA careers. We're talking about the Trey Youngs, the Shea Gilgis-Alexanders, the guys that we knew. C.J. McCollum is another guy who has always been a very careful ball handler. But the argument has has been from certain sections of NBA Twitter and Sixers Twitter and writers in general is that Tyrese Maxey it doesn't tend to take the risky pass. I think about it like in, in the NFL where it's like, certain quarterbacks like Derek Carr was always the case before he kind of had his breakout where it was like, yeah, he doesn't throw any interceptions, but he also never makes a risky pass. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that that is an issue for Maxi? Cause I'm kind of split on this. Cause I feel like in order to be a, pr the primary guy, like if you want to, if we want Tyrese Maxi to eventually be able to carry units by himself, whether Joel Embiid is out or if he's running bench units or whatever in playoff situations, I do think that there is some validity to the argument that he needs to take steps as a playmaker and might be, need to be willing to make some more of those risky passes that could lead to turnovers. But at the same point, I think it's incredibly good that he does not turn the ball over. <laughs> like he's an efficient scorer. He's doing what you want him to do as a scorer. And he's also protecting the ball and, and, you know, 
as good as Ben Simmons is, he turned the ball over a ton. Joel Embiid has had turnover problems in his career. So that's the kind of secondary guy that you want with your star players if he isn't going to be that primary guy. So do you see it as an issue or do you just see it as like, I mean, he's an incredibly careful ball handler and I I, I wouldn't worry about that at all. Uh, I'm probably more in the latter camp, but that isn't to say he doesn't need to improve as a playmaker, but like that should be expected. He is 17 games into his first full-time starting point guard role <laughs> in the NBA. Like, of yes. course he needs to. I mean, you know, all of these guys still need to improve on what they're doing. Like we we're seeing Seth Curry at the age of 31 have a career year. You know, like I'm not saying yep. Tyrese Maxey at 21 is topped out. So he, but the thing is, I mean, th- this is what, the Sixers have said, dating back to draft night, they have been praising Maxi based on his pedigree coming out of high school and college, but also his work ethic. I mean, Doc says he is one of the hardest working players he's ever coached. You know, one I think the hardest working young player he's ever coached. So, like, I have full confidence that Tyrese Maxi is only going to get better and better and better in that regard. I just think he's a fundamentally different player than Ben Simmons, and having watched the Sixers with Simmons and Embiid for the past four years might have broken all of our brains a little bit. And now, we're, <laughs> now we're just not used to a score first point guard who doesn't turn the ball over. That's like the complete antithesis of Ben Simmons. So we're running like modern offense. We are running pick and rolls more than we ever have before. Well, I don't even know what that is. Can you explain what a pick and roll is to me? I've never, I've no, never heard I, of that term. <laughs> I, I, we have a guard who will pull up from three off the dribble. It's. I didn't know it was allowed, but I apparently I checked the rule book. It is. That, so, I mean, Adam Silver must be finding us sometime soon for this. Yeah. I, I, I can't imagine he will allow this. Right, right. So, I mean, I, you know, I think – They've been more egalitarian in terms of their playmaking, which I think has been a positive development for Embiid as well. Absolutely. You know, if, if you are, because like when Embiid is healthy, the offense is still going to run through him. For as great as Tyrese Maxey has been this year, this guy just finished second overall in the MVP race last year. Like he's going to, you're going to get him the ball as much as you possibly can. He's so physically dominant that he is going to draw double teams more often than not. When he does, he needs to recognize the open man or kick out or do a swing swing pass. And he's gotten better at that every single yeah. year. So and you saw at the beginning of this year with, I mean, he was posting up less, which I, it, there are a few players in the NBA. I think it's fine for them to post up Jokic and Embiid are at the top of that list. And yeah. I'm not saying that that is a bad thing, but it's good to have different elements to your game and you saw Embiid facing up more you know his mid-range shot wasn't falling but the passing and playmaking was definitely improved early in the season I think part of that is due to him focusing on that in the offseason and then part of that is just due to having more space and one of the things that I I've noticed with Tobias Harris and him is that since like I don't I mean Tobias is even worse at, at this than than Embiid but from a processing the game standpoint create giving more space to these guys and making it so that they can basically always be able to kick it out to a shooter or have someone cutting or just if they're running an action themselves, basically having all this space is making it so that they're not turning the ball over as much. They're, they're able to make those easier reads, which is something that this offense has really lacked because like you said, it's made it more egalitarian. It's made it more almost like kind of like the jazz a little bit like where, Mm -hmm. The Jazz, the Jazz are a pick-and-roll heavy team, but they also have incredible shooters that space the floor and great connective passers. And 
this is kind of the thing, and, and this will lead into our next conversation, but I do just want to hit on this. Mike Lynch, who, if you don't follow Mike Lynch at Sports Info 24-7, he works for Basketball Reference. He's a great follow. But he he tweeted earlier, basically, since 1983-84, in the span, uh, in, in that span, Tyrese Maxey has had the fewest turnovers of any player to average 20 points and five assists in a 10-game span. Wow. So if we want to complain about the turnovers, um, I think we might want to pump the brakes a little bit. I think, <laughs> I, I think that right now he, you know, as you said, he's still incredibly young. He will get to the point where he will take those risky. He'll make those riskier passes. Maybe when they ask him to do even more, but as you said, the offense will run through Joel Embiid and, it's nice to have different options, but the reason why, and this is something that Ben Pfeiffer said when he came on my podcast a few weeks ago was, was the fact that like Tyrese Maxey was always a great fit with the Philadelphia 76ers because he's an elite play finisher. Like Mm -hmm. you get him the ball, he's either catching and shooting or he's catching, attacking, attacking a closeout. He can run those secondary side pick and rolls. Like he is, a great play finisher. And that's kind of what you need around Joel Embiid. And going back to your, what you were talking about with uh, Tobias and whatever, maybe moving away from him, which is kind of going to lead us to our next point here. But, and, and once again, Tobias Harris is a good player. I don't have anything against Tobias Harris, but there's no way in the world you would look at who Joel Embiid is as a player and say, okay, who needs to be the second or third guy on this team? And you would pick Tobias Harris right? because Tobias is good at what he does. And I think that he could, when Embiid's out, he can expand his, his offensive game a little bit more. And you can see that, especially earlier in games before things really slow down at the end of games. But basically the thing with Tobias is like with this egalitarian offense that you talked about, Having a guy like him who stops the ball mm-hmm. and isn't uh, – like if you're going to have a guy who stops the ball, you want them to be a Joel Embiid level scorer, a Kevin Durant level scorer, or a play finisher like Maxi, a guy who can just make quick decisions and whatever. Tobias isn't a quick decision maker. He, he stops the ball when it swings around a lot. He's not a great passer, and he's also not an elite closer slash scorer. So one of the things that – the, the rumor that has come up recently is Jeremy Grant for Ben Simmons. And this has been denied by the team, but I just wanted to talk a little bit about like Jeremy Grant in general and who he is as a player. Like, what did you think of that report when it first came out? And what do you think about it now? <laughs> I was skeptical to say the least, because again, <laughs> you know, going back to the AMIC report with the 30 guys on the list, Jeremy, I like, it would not surprise me if he does become available in the next year or two, because Amick said, you know, five to 10 guys on the list, the Sixers thought might become available soon. And he just isn't also isn't the right type of player to pair with Joel Embiid, or he was back when he was on a minimum deal a couple of years ago, but now, you know, he's getting paid $20 million a year and pairing him with Tobias. I just don't see that being a very successful fit. I, you know, he's increased his three point shooting volume, but he is not a super efficient shooter from deep. Good mm-hmm. defender, good versatile defender. So there's that. But you know, I, I think you would you would have to pivot away from Tobias if you're bringing in Jeremy. And then what are you getting for Tobias to make up for that? Like, I, I would I would hold out for other options because I think there will be more appealing packages for Ben that won't force you to just like totally blow this team to smithereens. 
It, I do have to say it is really funny to me that Sixers fans like hate Tobias Harris and love Jeremy Grant because I'm yeah. like, <laughs> you ever watch Jeremy Grant play for the Pistons? Because uh, no, clearly not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Jeremy, I think he was a, a great. Uh, you know, I thought he was a great role player in his OKC Denver days. I thought that you know his value on a contending team would probably be as that fourth or fifth starter who could you know play help defense, good on ball shoot open threes, do do all the thi- be a play finisher, do all the things you would want a guy in that kind of role to do, kind of a 3 and D wing-ish with some versatility to him. And I think that he could be an effective player. But the reality is he wants to be a star. And one of the reasons why he went to Detroit is because he wanted to have an expanded offensive role. And now, like, and, and one of the things that I, I talk about with, like, Julius Randle, uh, Tobias Harris, Jeremy Grant, like, all very talented, good players, all in the top 75 players in the NBA, probably. But when it comes to the, what they think they are versus what the reality of the situation is, is that I I just struggle to see them in their current roles within the context of a contending team. So basically, like, I th- I actually, like, I would, I would hate Jeremy Grant as the return for a Ben Simmons trade. Mm-hmm. If we were to somehow move off of Tobias Harris and Jeremy Grant was a returning piece in that trade, then I and, and obviously I don't think he's going to go to Detroit. He's already been in Detroit. That didn't work out, whatever. But like I, the, the if Jeremy Grant was to buy in to being like the fourth guy who did all the things he did well as a role player with increased three point volume off of the catch and all that stuff. And like last night he showed that he has games where he can go off for like 33 points against the Lakers And, like, he's shown that he has ability to do these things. But, like, as you said, it's not the guy that you would pick to put next to Joel Embiid just like it would not be with Tobias Harris. Like, I think that ultimately – the one thing I keep coming back to is, like, if we were – and I was open to the idea of trading Ben Simmons for C.J. McCollum Mm -hmm. because I think C.J. McCollum is a way better player than, like, a Jeremy Grant. But I also – my biggest concern is then then your backcourt becomes Seth Curry, Tyrese Maxey, CJ McCollum. Right. That is an incredibly small backcourt. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and the direction that the NBA is moving in is, is probably closer to the Jeremy Grant types. The guys yeah. that are long, athletic, versatile, can play multiple schemes on defense in the playoffs. So, if there was a way that we could – it just – it becomes very confusing because it's like, all right, well, now we're projecting a Ben Simmons trade. We're projecting a Tobias Harris trade and right. we're getting back Jeremy <laughs> Grant. Like how does this all work? Like it, there's too much, too many levels to it. But in general, I'm not opposed to the idea of Jeremy Grant being a sixer at any point. But I just don't see a realistic pathway to make all of this happen within the season, by the way. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I think with all of the Ben Simmons trade ideas, you have to come back to how did this player fit next to Joel Embiid? He is signed for the next five seasons, I believe. So like he is here long term. He is going to be the centerpiece. So is Jeremy Grant the optimal fit next to him or the Spurs package I brought up earlier? Even like is DeJounte Murray the optimal fit next to Joel Embiid? And you can argue potentially not given his struggles as a shooter as well. So I think that that more than like, you know, the maxi breakout widens the scope of trade possibilities, but then you look at, okay, well, 
do these guys actually fit next to Embiid or would this be like the 2019, 2026ers all over again where it's like, Oh, we got a bunch of big names. We, you know, we acquired all this talent. It's like, well, does it fit together? It's like, right. no, 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 it doesn't. That's so exactly. what Now we're this year's Lakers. Like you, you yeah. can't, you know, I mean, look at like what golden state is doing this year. You know, like they didn't acquire a ton of household names. Like Jordan Poole was known to absolutely no one outside of the Bay area last year. But now all of a sudden he's an impactful piece for, you know, the leading team in the NBA. So I, I think I, I've always said that I think they're going, the Sixers are going to quote unquote, lose the Ben Simmons trade. If we're just focusing on, Oh, who got the best player in the trade or who got the most name value, but that's okay. Like, I don't think they need to win the trade, you know, when ESPN and all these outlets do like instant trade grades, the Sixers are probably going to be on the losing end of it, but I'm okay with that because as we've seen a lot in the NBA, the team that's on the losing end initially winds up being the winner down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think that that's something that the Sixers can't really worry about. They need to make the best trade that is, as you said, fits the best with Joel Embiid. Like, does, do, which is why I, I think like, like with, all the struggles that they've had on defense this year, and obviously missing Joel Embiid is a big part of that, and also not having Thibault and Danny Green and Ben Simmons for, right. you know, <laughs> missing your four best defenders can hurt your defense. Who right. thought? I don't right. – like, I see people complaining about it, and I'm like, guys, I don't know what the fuck to tell you. If <laughs> like, if Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris are your best defenders, Andre Drummond, like, you're just not going to be great. <laughs> yeah, it, this honestly feels like a process year, which is weird to say. Because it, it does. Because it's because, fun, but they're yeah. losing. And, and like, I honestly don't even care about the win-loss record right now. It's more about individual play development. Because, like, they're not going to win the title until they resolve this Ben Simmons situation. Until either he's either back in the fold or they trade him. So yep. it's more like the, the individual stories of Tyrese Maxey and Seth Curry and, like, George Niang has been a positive story. Uh, you know, how these guys are faring is more important than, oh, they, you know, they... Yeah, the vibes were great when they, you know, beat the Blazers without all three of their $30 million guys. But, like, yeah, they're going to get their clocks clean. You know, By the Jazz and, like, really good teams are just going to kick their ass every once in a while. And Yeah, like, yeah. I had someone DMing me the other day about, you know, that they lost, like, three close games with all these guys. I'm like, what What did you expect? They should have lost by 20. Like, it's, it's good that they were this close. We're maintaining the point differential, and that's all that matters, dude. <laughs> right. Come on, don't you go on cleaning the glass. But one of the, <laughs> one of the things about – the, the the Ben Simmons thing and like I actually have said this and I said it on the live podcast the other night. The Sixers miss Ben more when Embiid is out than they do than when Embiid plays because yeah. like I mean look at the like Embiid by himself when he's on the court is a dominant defense. Like yeah. if you look at even when Ben Simmons is on the court with uh you know uh another center like the defense will drop off, even if it's a defense, decent defensive center. Like Joel Embiid is going to have the Sixers as a top five defense when he's on the court. That's just the reality. When he's off the court this year, especially it's going to be bad. That that goes without saying. Now, this stretch would have been nice to have Ben to have because, as we've said before, Ben's a very good regular season player. But if you look at the fact that like while the defense is cratered, it was still like I think it was around like 15 when Embiid was in and we had the number one offense and we had the number one half court offense and we still have the number two half court offense. And in this stretch without Embiid, we've had a top three offense. 
So like the be- removing Ben Simmons from the situation, of course, is going to make the defense a little bit worse. But when it comes down to playoff success, we know the formula for, for playoff success is having a good enough defense and a great half court offense. Other than the yeah. Bucks last year, that was kind of the outlier where they were just like an all time like they, they they just shut teams down defensively and they also just got out and ran no matter what. And it helps when you have Giannis Antetokounmpo on your team. <laughs> right. But the the thing is, is that like we now at least to me, I've looked at the season like I agree with you. It's been a lot of fun despite the losses because you get to see the advancement of the young guys. But also now we know what the formula can be and the yeah. formula for the Sixers to be contenders is to remove Ben Simmons from the situation. If he does come back, I think that they could still be in the conversation. Like I saw Kevin O'Connor say like he's the missing piece. I don't agree with that. Like I mm-hmm. still think like like yes, Maxi has been great and like yes, that would help and maybe they get past the Hawks or whatever last year if Maxi is playing like this. But also part of the reason why Maxi's playing like this is because Ben Simmons is not in the situation. <laughs> like, right, right. Like, like, like he gets more touches and also he's able, he's a more effective half court player. So, and also there's no, you, you have, you have flexibility offensively to run different sets. So you can run pick and rolls. You can run four outs, five outs. You don't always have to have someone in the dunker spot. You can have a lot more flexibility when you have, when you, you have a less of a liability in the half court offense in the playoffs. But my whole thing about this is like, now I think we know what the formula is, which is Joel Embiid, who is the dominant defense all by himself, creates a ton of scoring gravity from the post and then shooters and connective passers, like I said earlier. So basically the best way I think that the Sixers are going to like take that step into the contending thing, whether it's a Ben Simmons trade or if it's other trades, like I don't know if Danny Green will be on this team by the end of the year. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think if and I've thought about this, if there's anyone that's likely to get traded that isn't Ben Simmons and that whole situation doesn't resolve itself, it's not Tobias Harris because Tobias is just too complicated because yeah. of the contract and because he's a polarizing player and he's not as seen as highly around the league. Danny Green, and I've thought about this in the past few days, I could see a team like the Lakers getting desperate and working some sort of three-way trade where they said, because like Danny was part of that championship team. We know he fits with LeBron and AD. We know that he's a great connecting piece, a fifth starter on those kind of teams. He has been in the past. And I see Danny declining and I see mm-hmm. Danny probably not getting his option picked up for next year anyway. So if it gets to the deadline and there's some sort of trade where maybe they trade, uh, Talon Horton Tucker or Malik Monk or Kendrick Nunn or one of these guys that they picked up and then the Sixers can get a guy back that way. I actually think like Furkan Korkmaz and Danny Green would be the two most likely to to go out because just because otherwise the Sixers don't really have salaries to match. Right. Yeah, they're not trading Seth Curry or they shouldn't trade Seth Curry. No, Seth um, is a bargain on that contract. Maxi's obviously yeah, and like Niang also a bargain. Korkmaz, I know he's struggling this year, but at five million a year, you get like I, I would have to be blown away, and you're not going to blow me away with a five million dollar player. So yeah, right. I, like I've kind of thought that Green might be used as like additional salary in a Simmons trade. Yeah, so like I keep coming back to Sacramento, and I know they didn't want to give up Halliburton at the time. We'll see, you know, if they keep 
sucking, even though they fire their head coach. Like maybe they start to move on that. Maybe they think, you know, Fox and Halliburton aren't, aren't compatible. So like, uh, ben Simmons plus Danny Green plus, you know, one of the end of the roster guys, Bassie, Reed, Joe, whoever you want in that mix. Not um, Isaiah Joe. <laughs> oh, okay. I, like, if no, no, no. I mean, he hasn't played this year, really. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he's expendable, even though it will break my heart. I, I know. Yeah, like I love all those guys, too. But if that's if that's the breaking point of the Ben Simmons trade. Oh, absolutely. You know, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, do those three for like healed Halliburton, Harrison Barnes. And like Danny Green, I think has value not only to contenders like the Lakers, but to crappy teams like Sacramento and like Minnesota, where you can bring him in. He has the championship pedigree. He can like teach your young locker room how to be professionals. Because all, all the Ben, uh, all the Bill Simmonsisms. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I think it's true. Like we even heard it from him and from Doc last year. Like, yeah, you know, they said, I. I don't know to the extent that things had gone off the rails toward the end of the Brett Brown era, but it sounded worse than we realized. Like Danny has alluded to it a couple times and he said there's still work to be done in that regard. But like, I don't know how hard some of these guys were working off the court or were, you know, were they putting in all of the effort they needed to both on and off the court? It didn't sound like that was the case. So maybe having Danny, go to a Sacramento and teach, you know, Deer and like take De'Aaron Fox under his wing or take, well, also like just on the court value, look at who Sacramento was starting as their wing this year. It's been Mo Harkless and then Chimezi Metu. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't even know Mark, Mo Harkless was still in the NBA. So yeah, like Danny <laughs> Green on one hamstring will be an upgrade over those guys. So, so the, the, the thing about that, first off, I'm vibes pilled. So I buy into all I, I have shifted my I used to be more like on court talent matters, whatever. No, I'm like. Danny comes in and he's good vibes and he and he teaches the young guys and he tells them like what to do, what not to do. I'm with it. He brings yeah. good vibes. There's a reason why he's liked everywhere he goes. There's a reason why he's got it. He's been on these title teams that he's like that. That does matter. Like I'm absolutely for that. The one thing I will say about a trade like that is that I just think that it decimates the king. Like the kings. Obviously, like you said, they're like a 30 win team. Like yeah. them for for them to be decimated. Uh, it doesn't really mean anything, right? Uh, but it's like those are the three of their five best players, six best players, maybe. And it's like that is where, like, if you are making a role player trade from the Sixers' perspective, one hundred percent, like yeah. that's the because because like then you get Harrison Barnes, who's like been on contending teams and like does the things that you want to do around Joel Embiid. He shoots more threes now and he's kind of in that Tobias Harris mold, but he can also get his own buckets, draw fouls. He's a good defender. Uh, Buddy Heald, you don't even have to explain why he would be a good fit. Like he shoots fucking 35 threes a game. (laughs) Yeah. Which is great, which is exactly what the Sixers need. Uh, But and then I think giving up Halliburton on top of that would be really the cherry on top. I obviously think that the Kings would not want to do that, but if, right. if, if any sort of trade out there like that is you would have to think about changing your demands for sure. But yeah, let's, let's move on. So do you want to touch on the James Harden sign and trade speculation or is it, is it just bullshit? I, like, I mean, we've heard it dating back to last year. I like, you know, they very clearly, this is like the start of the end of the Ben Simmons era in Philly. They were willing to include him in the 
Harden talks at the time. Uh, clearly, it didn't work. I, like, I don't think we have any reason to believe Harden is going to leave Brooklyn. Like, there's just so much uncertainty with what happens with Kyrie there as well. Like, you know, if NYC ever lifts the COVID vaccine mandate, all of a sudden it's sunshine and rainbows at Brooklyn. All three guys are going to stay there forever. We got no problems. Like the, right. the issue is, I mean, we just saw, I forget Alex Kennedy, I think of basketball news just tweeted this the other day about like uh, Canada is now not letting unvaccinated players come in after January 15th. So oh, even, wow. if, even if New York city lifts their mandate, like God willing, we would get a Nets Raptors series where Kyrie would have to sit out for half Oof. of it. Just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe first um, round even because they're probably going to be a play in team. Right. Exactly. So that would be funny. But like, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it is worth devoting brain power to, cause there is so much time between now and July 1st where that could be a realistic issue. And if, yeah, if the Sixers did not trade Ben Simmons until then, there might be bigger problems to address, namely the happiness of Joel Embiid. Like I, I think right. he's willing. I think he's willing to deal with this until February. I'm guessing he is going to go to Daryl if it's like February 6th and they have made no <laughs> progress. It's gonna be like, hey guy, like, can we please just get this shit over with? I don't care if we lose the trade. Just I don't want to deal with this anymore. Yeah, my, my knee is about to explode, Daryl. Please, <laughs> right. I, I, got, right. I got like two or three years left. Please make something happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's kind of where I go back and forth with like, do you wait for the superstar? Because yes, that would be the 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 best thing for the next five year window, but right now, as you said, keeping him happy. If they go out in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I know that he signed that Supermax extension, but things can change very fast in the NBA. And I do just want to say, like, I think that the the Nets not – even though Kyrie hasn't been in and they've had injury issues and all this stuff, like, I think that's just kind of their reality now. Like, Kyrie will always have off-the-court issues. The injuries will always exist for them, and they might not care about the regular season, but I don't think that they're the world beaters that we thought that they were going to be. Like, I just don't see – like, I don't think they're this unbeatable, you know, KD, Curry, Warriors team. Like, I think that they're a very good team that will have weaknesses that you can exploit in the playoffs, and I think that any team in the Eastern Conference should be thinking about that when they're approaching the trade deadline – and they should not be looking at it like like we were last year, which was like, well, the Nets are going to win anyway, so why do we care? Because they didn't. They got hurt. The Bucks won, and the, anything can fucking change in the NBA. So, thinking speaking of the stars versus whatever, the thirty lists, the thirty yeah. player lists that Daryl Morey has put out there, his hit list. Say, <laughs> um, he has said he wants. All stars, basically. We can we can come to the conclusion that that he wants stars. Now, I talked a little bit about this during the live podcast, but we didn't really get very far with this conversation. And and I wanted to just kind of talk about it with you because I want to get your perspective on like, do you think he's including the ungettable players, like one hundred percent ungettable? Is he putting LeBron James and Giannis and Luca and Jokic and Lamelo and the players that he knows? that he can never get on this list? Is he wasting spots on there or is he being more realistic and including the guys that have been floated out there, the Hardens, the Beals, the, the Dames, the guys who have maybe been out there the, over the past year or so, or could potentially be out there. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you fill out a list of 30 guys unless you're including the LeBrons and Giannis's because you're not going to include Gobert or Jokic. Or I think you like- would. I think you would include Jokic because I'm actually like a Jokic and Embiid could work guy. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, now, especially with uh, my co-host uh, DM me this morning because this news about Michael Porter Jr. just came out. You know, Let's get it. The, the nerve injury in the back and, you know, Jokic is a free agent in 2023. What if... All MBJ- I'm saying is they're good friends. They're apparently, yeah. apparently Embiid is one of his three best friends in the NBA, I've been told by, really? Nugget, by Nuggets fans. Yeah, they said oh. Gian- Giannis, Embiid, and Russell Westbrook, which... I don't even know where that one comes from. I mean, the, the Giannis and Embiid thing makes sense because they're all foreign. Sure. But, but apparently, I know that Embiid and Jokic have always spoken highly of each other in the media, and like, which is kind of funny because Embiid's known for shitting on other centers. <laughs> right, right. But apparently, they're close friends. So something to keep an eye on. Don't think it's ever, ever, ever going to happen. But no. it, it's just it, obviously, like, I, I think – the, the Supermax adds another – the new Supermax adds another like layer to like guys never asking out before they can get that big bag. So yeah. if Jokic were to ever ask out, it would be like five years from now. <laughs> so, right, 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 so we don't have to worry about that. But yeah. so so yeah, it does get hard because I wrote down the names that I think for sure are on there because these are guys that have been either floated in reports or these are guys that have been just kind of in – in general, like I think we can all come to the conclusion that like they might be available at some point, like they might be on that five to 10 guys that he's thinking of. Cause the five to 10 guys he's thinking of, I think the top of the list would be Harden, Dame, Beal and cat. Like, I think yeah. that those are the four guys that like over when they talk about over the next year could become available that those all-star level players, like those are the guys for sure. And I think that they would all be on the list. Yeah, and then I, think I would add Levine to that as well. Levine, just because of the contract situation, but yeah. the Bulls playing so well right now and him really loving Chicago and being close with the guys on that team. Like, I do think that that is much more of a long shot than I did last year. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd say the same for Beal, too. Like, I don't think yeah. either of those guys are re- realistically obtainable. I also am like. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, and, and this isn't to say that Tyrese Maxey is on the same level as Levine and Beal. But the prototype of player, obviously he's smaller than both of those guys, which could have its shortcomings in the playoffs. But the prototype of like scorer that he is Mm -hmm. definitely makes those like high level scorer type guys a little bit less appealing to me if you're trying to build a team around Maxi and Embiid. But Obviously, if they become available, you do it. No fucking question. And it's not like I'm not even worried about it. It, The question is, do you include Maxi? And I would probably say no, unless one unless Levine gets even better, which like it's totally possible. The guy's a psychotic worker and like he's awesome. But so so I had Harden, Dame, Beal, Cat for sure on there. I, I actually I'm kind of and we talked about this recently, too. The Carl Anthony Towns thing is weird because they obviously have not gotten along in the past. And like, if you're really vibes pilled cat cats, vibes aren't great. And the vibes with Embiid are not going to be great, but like the talent and like, like someone put it to me like this. What does cat do differently than Tobias Harris? 
except better. <laughs> like Kat could essentially be super Tobias and then you figure out how to get off of Tobias. Sure. Yeah. And and you can essentially just put him at the four and just hope that him and Embiid like can operate like Cat runs the offense from the perimeter and Bede runs it from the post. And they're just this massive. And like, that's something that Jonathan charts from the ringer, which kind of brings me back to the point I was talking about before, like these long athletic big dudes that are just incredibly skilled could end up being the future of the NBA and getting a, a cat and bead front court would be perfect for that. <laughs> so, yeah, if it, I mean, I don't think these are all got like, I know they think these guys are coming available in a year or two. And maybe Towns does, but I think the leap, even that Anthony Edwards started to take at the end of last year and has carried over to this year, you know, I, the Timberwolves are one of those teams. Like right now, I think they are technically in the play in tournament. So that this is where the West being having a down year could hurt the Sixers. Like all of True. these crappy teams should be willing to give up some of their guys, but like now, you know, now the Timberwolves are on a three game winning streak and they're like sniffing 500 again. Also, I mean, you know, Jimmy and Joel are still very good friends. Jimmy True. and Kat. It's a long seem, shot. <laughs> yeah. They did not seem to get along so great. So I'm sure Jimmy's going to send some text messages like, Hey, uh, you might want to think twice before pouring yeah. the trigger there. I actually think regardless of, of the Timberwolves success and the Anthony Edwards situation and all that, like, it, the second the things start to go wrong there, his vibes are just so bad that I'm like, yeah. it's got, like, of all the guys on this list, I actually think he's the most likely to be available next off season. Like, I, I think, that, yeah. I, I think that like, it's really run its course. And it's like, like, it's also not like a situation like Dame where like, he has loyalty to the fan base. Like he right. doesn't, he doesn't care. Like he, <laughs> like, like he will ask for a trade to play with his friends somewhere else or, go to the Knicks or whatever. Like, I think that that is 100% in the cards for Carl Anthony Towns of the next year. So then I had on there for sure on there. We know that Maury asked Brad Stevens for <laughs> Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown at a certain point. So they right. have to be included on there. Right. Shea Gil, just Alexander, I think would be included on there as kind of a rising star. Um, I think Zach Levine, who you touched on before, Anthony Edwards, and Jamal Murray, even though Jamal yeah. Murray might be out for the rest of the season. Those are the guys that I think are definitely on there. Obviously, I think guys like Paul George, Jimmy Butler, like, yes, they're probably on there. But also, they're never becoming available. Like, it's just <laughs> not it's not even worth discussing. Right. The, the next tier is what where it gets interesting to me. So the first name I have on here is someone I've talked about recently is Brandon Ingram. Yeah. yeah. And. With New Orleans fucking going off the rails, I do, I, do you think Ingram is a Maury player? Because I've gone back and forth on this. Uh, it's tough to say, honestly. Like, Because I don't know what New Orleans does either. I mean, like, part of me is in the camp almost where I know it's going to sound premature to say this, but like, the, if we're talking vibes here, the vibes with Zion have just been so bad for yeah. – a while now like is it even worth trying to bring in ben simmons to salvage the zion situation or do you just trade zion yeah i mean i i i think that like he's unhappy then and, and he's also the kind of guy that like 
I don't think that they would do it because like they just had the Anthony Davis thing fucking yeah. two or three years ago. Like they can't just keep getting number one picks who, even though the Zion situation is obviously very different, but they can't just keep getting number one picks in their small market and then just being like, ah, it didn't work out. See ya. Like, okay. I think that they will be more like, we'll do whatever it takes to make this situation work. Kind of like they did with Anthony Davis. Like, you know, uh, like New Orleans got a lot of shit for, what happened with Anthony Davis and, and that ended up leading to the firing of the front office and coaches and AD got traded and stuff. But ultimately like they put some pretty good players around him. Like it wasn't the greatest fit, but like it's really hard to get players to want to go play in new Orleans. Like they just don't right, right. like, it's not like, I know David Griffin, I've criticized a lot of his moves, but like, it's like really hard to get players to want to go there and stay there. So like if Ingram has any interest in staying there, I don't think that they move him, which is why he's kind of included on here. I had, and I talked about him and De'Aaron Fox on the on last week with Mike Giotto. And so the De'Aaron Fox thing at the time, I'm still kind of like, a no on the De'Aaron Fox thing. Um, even though I don't really know where you fall on him, but Jason Dumas, who has gotten some Sixers things right in the past, has mm-hmm. said that the Sixers front office likes De'Aaron Fox. Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers said he heard they have no interest in a Fox trade. So, so it this is De'Aaron Fox is like kind of the divider guy here for me, where yeah. it's like I can see the vision. But I don't love the fit with Joel Embiid. I don't love building around a guy who's we've never seen him in the playoffs. Is not a great shooter. And once again, it comes back to building around Joel Embiid. That's why Dejounte Murray and De'Aaron Fox. I like them as players. Like I like like they're good NBA players. But like, how many times do we have to do the Joel Embiid with a shaky shooting guard? Right, thing right. before we realize probably need to just have every single player be an either an incredibly efficient three-point shooter or an incredibly willing three-point shooter yeah and i will say about both murray and fox like they are willing to take them at least so <laughs> it will be ben simmons all over again but i i hear the concern there i probably like if it was just one-on-one simmons for fox i'd do it just because we're not getting anything out of that Simmons spot right now. Right. So it, it's you it's not even like a net loss at this point. Like anything is going to be a net gain compared to what they've had so far this season. I hear the concerns and again it's the same thing you mentioned earlier where like all right, you're pairing Fox and Maxi and then Seth Curry, like you can't play those three guys together. Mo- you know, like you're not going to start those three guys together. You can right. maybe have some three guard lineups at times, but like one of those guys is moving to the bench. So, yeah, I think it, everything being equal, you prioritize, you know, ideally a two-way wing. But, okay, that's the most valued archetype in the league right now. Right. So, <laughs> good luck You don't with go that. on trees. Right, right. So, you know, going back to Ingram, like he's a – I agree. He's probably like a borderline guy. I think, again, if it was one for one, they would probably do it. And I think Simmons and Zion – would be such a comically bad fit that I hope they do it. <laughs> and <laughs> but, with Jonas Valanciunas at center, come on now. Yeah, like, like, oh my God, can you imagine the spacing there? It'd be like, just pack all five guys in the paint, Darren to kill Alexander Walker to shoot from deep. He'll take eight attempts per game and he'll shoot under 30 from three. It'll be great. Yeah. Dev- Devontae Graham, baby. Devontae Graham season. <laughs> 
40 percent for on 23s a game um so so yeah i'm kind of i i'm kind of split on these guys for the reasons that i mentioned in that podcast and that i'm mentioning in this podcast i wanted to get your opinions on them but i have now a list of guys that we have heard that they are not interested in which is I obviously Kyrie because of all the yeah. off the court stuff, yeah. CJ McCollum, they've turned down Malcolm Brogdon, Jeremy Grant, D'Angelo Russell and Buddy Heald. So those are the guys that we know will not be at least the main return in any Ben Simmons trade. And I have a new name to add to that list, which is Michael Porter Jr. Because yeah. the yeah. back stuff, I was all, I had thought about that at a certain point, just being like, you want to talk about having a big scoring wing who shoots a ton yeah. of threes and like was showing insane potential last year. And it's really unfortunate that he had this, this back injury with nerve issues and, and all the stuff. And he just got this huge, massive contract, but you can officially take him off the board now. Like, I think that, I think that that was always going to be a long shot just because they would have to pay him immediately with all the health issues and then on top of that, you and then obviously Colin Sexton has been out of the conversation for quite some time. Right. Um, one, they weren't interested in any return that got them Sexton. Uh, I think that he's shown he kind of had he before he got injured, he struggled in the context of like a winning team as opposed yeah. to like a losing team where he could just get buckets. And I was hoping that he would make a leap this year. And it's unfortunate that he got hurt and I hope he still gets paid, but those guys are officially taken off the board, even though I can, I could have seen them as potential guys for at one point. So basically I'm still just at a loss. I've done probably 40 hours worth of podcasts (laughs) on this situation. Um, And, and Hey, look, I mean, it keeps people listening and interested. So, so fuck it. Keep it going forever. Daryl Morey. We'll we'll, we'll be here talking in 2025 about how uh, maybe you, maybe Victor web and Yaba is coming available sometime in the next few. (laughs) We're We're just here for the content. That's all. That's all we're asking for at this point. But I mean, it goes back to the point of like, this is why I think they're going to end up having to settle for if they want to get a deal done this year, there is just not an obvious one for one star swap. So like, are you willing to take that role players plus package? And maybe it's a role players, as you mentioned, with like a guy like Vassell, who still has star upside that he can realize or like, you know, Atlanta is has plenty of guys who they could consolidate into a package. So I think those are probably the more realistic options short of a three or four team deal, which I you know, ultimately think that's going to be the, the final framework of this thing. Cause if there was a two team deal to be had, yep. hopefully they would have pulled the trigger by now. <laughs> you would hope so. It could kind of go just touching on the Atlanta thing. I know Nikias Duncan came up with an idea for that a few, uh, a little bit ago. I yeah. personally have no interest in an Atlanta trade. I think that, I think that the, the consolidation trade always sounds better than it actually is like the, they never really happen as much unless you have that Vassell, that maxi that kind of upside guy and i look at their young guys and i go i think they have a lot of good young guys i just don't really see the upside with any of their young guys that aren't trey like yeah. i i think that cam reddish is comically overrated as a player i think that uh, I think that he can still get better. Of course, he's very young and he I think he he has the looks like a star thing where like Aaron Gordon, even though Aaron Gordon's become a pretty good player, like 
for years, everyone was like, oh, Aragorn or Karis LeVert, like these guys that just kind of look like stars mm-hmm. and and they have and, and they just get this rep of being better than they actually are. I think that like I like DeAndre Hunter, but he's had a ton of injury issues like Kevin Herter's a good role player, but he can't even be traded now. Like like the Atlanta situation made sense to me until I actually sat down and thought about it. So. It, 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 once again, this is an impossible situation to figure out, and eventually it will be resolved, hopefully before we all die. And, um, uh, <laughs> let, in theory. Yeah, in theory, this deal has been done since the draft. So we, right. we've been, you know, key, hey, all I'm saying is, what's the what's the uh, 2022 draft date? Q, another QAnon date? Throw that out there. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should start looking at, at trades at the draft again. Um, okay, so let's just talk a little bit. As I said before, is it just me or like does the and I think that this factors into the Ben Simmons situation and what the Sixers are going through now and showing all these flashes of being a potentially contending team. Does it feel like to you that the Eastern Conference is just wide open? Because it does to me. Because I look at all the contending teams and I go, obviously you have the Bucks and the Nets. And then you could argue that the Heat might be in their own tier with like right below them. Like I don't think they're quite in the same tier, but they've looked really good this year and they have a lot of top end talent and like obviously a great coach, Jimmy Butler playing like an MVP, all that stuff. So – do you, I just don't look at any of these teams and like M- Milwaukee's got off to a weird start, but kind of injuries, but like the vibes just feel like the Eastern conference. Like I think the warriors are clearly the favorite in the West. It doesn't mm-hmm. really feel like there is anyone. And I think that that might be a little bit more pressing for the Sixers to make, get some moves done and make this team into a real contender. Yeah. I mean, I think what we've expected having into the season was Brooklyn and Milwaukee are their own tier. And as you said, like Milwaukee, the injuries, I know there are people overreacting to it. I'm in no way concerned about the Milwaukee bucks. They will be no. fine once they get healthy. It's, you know, it, I don't think we still really know what's going on with Brooke Lopez. I guess that's kind of the big concern here is like, we, we also didn't know what was going on with Michael Porter jr. And the, this news comes out last night. It's like, Oh, by the way, is a back injury. He might not play again this year. So if, if we find out that Brooke Lopez is dealing with something similar because he is a back issue, we just don't know what it is or the extent of it, that really does open things up. Um, you know, Brooklyn, for the reasons that we all know, like the Kyrie question mark here, like I think if if they do get Kyrie back and <laughs> or he gets vaccinated or the vaccine mandates get lifted, they don't have to play in Canada, whatever, they, I think, will be – if not the favorite in the East, the co-favorite with Milwaukee. Uh, Miami, I always thought they were going to be a better playoff team, the regular season team, just because I don't really trust their depth. But they're like top six, top seven is really good. And like a rugged playoff defensive team, Tyler Hero breaking out to the extent that he has is giving them a nice lift. Uh, So it's like it's hard for me to put the Sixers really – anywhere right now just because we don't know what is going to happen with Ben or if he's going to come back or what they trade him for I like I don't think you know I know the Sixers are saying like we're trying to get him back in the fold to me it just feels like a fantasy like there's does even if you can get him back like let's say he he is finally mentally ready to play let's say he's only ready mentally ready to play in road games because he never wants to play in Philadelphia again and I honestly don't blame him for that you can't force him to exert maximum effort. Like right. he, he can play, but he can just go through the motions and then Doc can pull him and he won't get fined for 
not being there for the team. So like, I just don't see a world wherein Ben Simmons comes back and plays the good soldier. Cause if it would have happened, it would have happened already. It's a complete fantasy. And, and it's funny because we, we said this before, but it's like, the reason why Ben Simmons is a good regular season NBA player is because he busts his ass every night. Like right. he's very talented and he busts his ass. Like Ben Simmons not trying is, go- is going to be very bad. Like it's, yeah. it's going to result in some bad basketball. It's not going to be beneficial to Ben or the team or anyone involved. He should just go home and we should try to figure out a trade for him. And if that has to wait until next off season, I'll actually lose my mind, but <laughs> but, but it, it is better than trying to do this whole facade where we, we get him back into the fold and do whatever. So the thing about the Eastern Conference to me is like it, everything just feels off except for the teams like the Heat and the Bulls that like I think they're very good teams, but I still struggle to see – like I think that the Heat are a good team. I think that they're I think that Kyle Lowry's impact is definitely going to help them in the playoffs and I think that it's helped them in the regular season so far and they and everything I've said but they're very old and this is something yeah. that that Nihilus Buck said when he came on earlier in uh, uh, in the season and he basically said they are running the risk right now of just giving being boomers and caring too much about winning every single night and proving to the league that they're this team that they were at coming out of the bubble, right? And they could end up getting into the playoffs and have a ton of miles on these guys by the end of the season because it doesn't really seem like they're resting all that much. They're really going out and busting their ass every night because of their lack of depth and just because of the mentality that they have as a team. And I still am just like, I think that Kyle Lowry at his current age, his impact for a team is going to be massively overstated by people who love Kyle Lowry and people who love the, who, and that's the NBA media is he's the media darling. He fits perfectly with the culture, quote unquote, all that bullshit. And as great as Jimmy Butler is like, I don't think that like, I think that the, the, all this stuff about the heat being legit contenders is just confirmation bias from people who said they were going to be, legit contenders last year after the bubble. And like, I still think that their warts are going to show in the playoffs. And I think that like the Sixers should ease, could easily make their way into that tier with the heat where like, yeah, maybe they're not the number one favorites going into the playoffs, but if they get a favorable draw in the first round, like I think that there is a world where we're, I'll, I'll say, I'll say it like this before the season. I thought there was no hell and no chance of fucking hell. We were going to be contenders. Yeah. And now that I've seen the way that the offense plays and as you said, the egalitarian offense and and, uh, you know, how we played with Joel Embiid and like the fact that like we kind of have figured out a little bit of a formula for success. And I think that, that, that this formula could translate better to the playoffs than our past formulas. And yeah. take, taking that next step as a team will basically just come down to can Joel Embiid play like we the player we know he can and can everyone fit perfectly into the role that they're figuring out here in the regular season right the problem is i still have no faith in doc to have the regulations uh, in the playoffs so. i forgot <laughs> damn it never once, mind once we get there we see ben simmons comes back and plays <laughs> exclusively with andre drummond that we'll have a different <laughs> conversation but no i mean I'm, I'm with you on the heat like kyle lowry's playing 34.5 minutes per game in the <laughs> 
season, which is just like I think the thing is scary for Miami. He's gonna die. Yeah, right. I mean, that's that's one. But like you know, they they have been relatively lucky in terms of injuries. So when you're seeing Brooklyn without Kyrie, Milwaukee without you know Chris Middleton for half the season, Brook Lopez for the entire season, Philly without Ben Simmons, and these teams are still at least respectable. Like what happened if any of Lowry, Butler, Adebayo go down, the Heat are done. It's just yep. like all of these other teams have proved they can at least stay afloat without one key piece. I don't think the same is true for Miami. So if they if they get to the playoffs with Lowry, Butler, Hero, Adebayo, Robinson, Tucker, all healthy, maybe. But I, you know, it's a long season. I don't know that that's going to be the case. And I think that's probably the, the depth is going to be what gets them in the end. But I, I'm with you. Like, I I have no sense right now who is going to win the title this year. Like, it, it feels like it's probably going to be the Warriors, which is insane. But Crazy, crazy. Well, when, when Miami gets, uh, I don't know, John Wall on a buyout, everyone will, uh, <laughs> <laughs> everyone will be crowning them. And, you know, they're Lakers East, so. Yeah. Hey, it would be an upgrade. Who is their backup point guard right now? Like John Wall. It Gabe was, Vincent? Is it yeah. Gabe Vincent? Yeah. Uh, so. I don't even, uh, John Wall wouldn't be bad. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I'm I'm not as uh, doomer as I was before the season. I'll put it like that. And yeah. maybe maybe I'm a I'm a fucking idiot for letting the Sixers trick me again. <laughs> but uh, you know what? I'd rather be an idiot than be miserable. So that that's fair. I, again, I just think like don't even focus on wins and losses right now because they are not consequential. Like the only big picture stories that matter are what the whatever happens with Ben Simmons and then it's like the individual development. Like just. Watch nothing but Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid, and you will have a great season regardless. Exactly. And uh, Charles Bassey erasure. Uh, but yes. all right. Uh, <laughs> thank you uh, so much for coming back on, Brian. I really appreciate it. Once again, you can follow his podcast, The NBA Pod. You can follow him on Twitter. I will le- I'll put all the links down below. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, bro. Of course. Thanks for having me on. Anytime. Peace.